Three Dog Thursday on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows is presented by WinBet. Get started today and you'll get a risk-free bet up to $500. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download the app today. We're also brought to you in part by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy is your home to the Best Ball Mania 2 contest where you can win a million dollars. That's right, a million bucks. Sign up now at underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. That's underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you in part by Coors Light. When you're sweating out your bets, remember to take some time to chill and grab the perfect cold refreshment, Coors Light. Football fans. It's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, TJ Reed. Well, welcome in, everybody. It is the latest edition, in fact, the final edition of the month of May of the only digital radio show that loves to lock in and focus on those underdogs wherever and however you found Three Dog Thursday. Thank you for doing so. I am the somewhat capable host of the program. Straight ahead, senior handicapper, Vegas insider, MajorWager.com, Brian Edwards with me. Look forward to talking with him. Tons about the NBA playoffs. We'll start off talking a little bit about the exciting Phil Mickelson historic championship win brian is my contemporary anytime the 40 somethings the 50 somethings can beat the 20s and the 30 year olds we love that so brian and i'll talk a little bit about that but a lot about the nba uh, as well coming up he's got great handicapping insight into the nba playoffs i want to ask him about how the play-in finished out last week if it soured him if he warmed up to it the nba apparently is going to stick with it we'll talk with brian edwards of vegas insider at majorwager.com coming up in just a bit with some handicapping. He's coming straight ahead, including the Friday night games. Later on in the podcast, the Friday night lines are already out in the Eastern and Western Conference playoffs. Brian will help us sort through that. He's also got more. It's never too soon, as he preached last week, to be looking at the college football games of the year and get those underdoggies right now when the line is much bigger than what it will probably be in August or September when things start to lower, games are being played. So Brian has got more of a taste of the college football football season we will talk college football day night week after week off season in season whatever it is and brian has got that want to tell you that in the middle of the show richard deitch is here from the athletic arguably the premier sports media guy in this country writing for the athletic course i say that and richard is based in toronto canada i look forward to talking with him in the middle segment of the show about everything with sports media espn giving kenny main one of their icons the boot uh after 25 plus years of doing sports center and working espn we'll talk with him about that the great one wayne gretzky is coming to the hockey coverage on turner and, and tnt We've got other things to discuss with Richard Deitch. That is coming up from The Athletic, talking sports media and more, and he's a big hockey guy too. And by the way, full disclosure, I'm doing the show right now in advance of Game 6 about to start between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers tonight. First-round series, Stanley Cup playoffs. You probably already know the result as we've released the Three Dog Thursday podcast. 
I want my lightning. I've got the championship shirt on. I want my lightning to go ahead and advance. I want no part of game seven back in Miami on Friday night. You already know whether I'm in a good mood on Thursday morning or not in listening to this podcast on what the lightning did or didn't do with the Panthers back home in Tampa, the defending champs for game six. They better put this series away. So anyway, Richard and I will talk a little more hockey in the middle part of the show. For now, uh, without delay, and by the way, uh, another reminder, thank you to our friends at the Sports Gambling Podcast, their network of shows, sportsgamblingpodcast.com. They help promote us. Subscribe to this show. There are thousands of you that have found us over the course of the last few weeks and few months. Continue finding us by subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever you find podcasts, find us on Three Dog Thursday and subscribe. All right, without further delay, here he is. Love the insight of one Brian Edwards, MajorWager.com. Always good to be with you, my friend. We bring you in here to open things up on Three Dog Thursday. We've got NBA playoffs going on. We've got Stanley Cup playoffs going on. Never too soon, as I said, to talk college football and much more. How are you feeling as we head to Memorial Day weekend and the end of May already? That means we're getting closer to the fall, Brian. Yeah, and I wish you would get here. It's hot as Hades out here. Um, I'm doing well, though, other than this heat starting to get to me. But, uh, yeah, doing well and looking forward to my Hawks back in action Wednesday night after my man Trey silenced the oh. most raucous crowd at MSG in, in a long, long time. Yeah. All right. So we, we got full disclosure again that we are not privy to what happens Wednesday night in the Hawks Knicks game. They are playing it as we are putting this podcast uh, together. But more on that series, because obviously at best, it's going to be one one for the Knicks going back to Atlanta and it may be two nothing Hawks. Again, you know those results if you're listening to us later on Thursday on Three Dog Thursday. I want to talk more in the preview mode and the underdog mode with Brian about Friday uh, for that. Before we get to more of the basketball, as I mentioned, Phil Mickelson at nearly 51 years of age, 50 years and 11 months, won the PGA Championship, Kiwa Island, South Carolina. We spent a lot of time, Brian, in the middle segment of the podcast last week with the Boston Kappa, one of the uh, co-hosts of the gambling podcast, the golf gambling podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of shows last week. We never really mentioned the name Phil Mickelson. The entire time we were talking about odds and who's going to win the tournament and whatever. What a story, Brian. I just, I'm curious uh, here as Mickelson uh, slept on the lead Saturday night, came in on Sunday and outdueled everybody. Outdueled Brooks Kepka, outdueled uh, Louis Oosthuizen, a former major champion, all the guys at the top. And, and let's hear it for the for the almost 51-year-old. I am a 51-year-old. He's about to join the club in June. Brian, this thing's transcended just a, a regular sports fan uh, watching this. I, I think there were millions of sports fans that found this Sunday. Do you have anything you want to say about Phil turning back the clock on father time and becoming the oldest major champion ever? Yeah, I mean, look how great a shape he's in. Like, I'm not a big golf guy. So when I just saw him and what – I'm like – Man, he wasn't in that kind of shape in his 30s or, or certainly yeah. his 40s, or maybe maybe he's gotten in better shape as he's aged. But um, I don't think I've ever seen him looking that that strong and lean ever. So he looks as better as good as he's ever been. I mean, the only times I can remember, I mean, was is he the oldest one since Jack 86? He's he older 46? than Jack. Jack Jack was 46, 46. and so now he becomes the right. oldest. Uh, well, and again, Phil had not won a PGA Tour event in three years. He had won on the Champions Tour because he turned 50 and qualified for the Champions Tour. But this is like Jack, where Jack put it together, 
phenomenal final round, five shots behind, and came roaring back to beat Greg Norman and the late Seve Ballesteros to win. But the difference here is Phil was in the lead all of Saturday, all the pressure, all the nerves Saturday night. Can he hold it? He was in the lead the entire Sunday, and everybody was tuning in to see, is he going to throw it away? Is it going to be a train wreck? Is it going to be awful? And yet, unreal. And that scene on 18, it was it was actually scary with he and Kepka on 18 with all the fans around him. Brian, you saw this. Tens of thousands of people, probably about 20,000 people gathering around that 18th hole. It was almost scary to watch that. But for him to put this away, it will be talked about, Brian, for the next 20 years, the next 50 years of golf. This will be talked about that a near 51-year-old on, on a course that is designed for the long hitters, he out hit all the long hitters and, and beat them at their own game. We can't overemphasize it enough. It's just remarkable and good on the older guys whenever they can beat the younger guys, right? Yeah, yeah. It's incredible that he held on for the lead. I mean, I, I remember, I think it was 98. So Jack would have been what, like 58, and he was in the top five the whole whole tournament. And he got yep. within like a shot of the lead on the front nine. And, and obviously, Tom Watson, <laughs> the, the British, within the last 10 years, yes. was up in his. 60s look but at they you couldn't, look at you yeah, yeah, talking I, I golf, history. golf history i just don't watch it anymore <laughs> uh but to go 72 entire holes and to actually finish it was uh because you know the, the older you get the the yeah. that fourth day starts to weigh on you so, no yeah, doubt very props to him fatigue injury mentally you're right tom watson was 59 years old 59 years young in 2009 he slept on the lead at the british open and had the lead all the way to the final hole i thought he was in the 60s got into the playoff and then lost the playoff and how about this a couple of people cashed the ticket i saw one at DraftKings. i saw one at another outlet i think it was the westgate where they were cashing a 280 to one or a 300 to one. There was a guy on DraftKings that cashed a hundred dollar bet for 30 grand, Brian Edwards on Phil Mickelson talking about having a big weekend. Holy that cow. Is, that is having a, a big weekend. Um, and just to uh, just divert to basketball, it makes me think about how the books are on the hook from well over a million. If the Hawks win at all, I think if they just win the East, they're going to lose like in wow. North into the, uh, six figures pretty deep all right so we'll get into that uh now the golf talk is good and again we'll pick up more on the hockey and and much more with richard deitch coming in the middle segment let's get to the basketball since last we talked we did not know how the play-in would play out as i play on the words here it has now played out where the lakers won that game head-to-head with golden state advanced immediately to phoenix like we theorized they could have Um, and they've already now played the first two games of that series and split the first two games with the Suns. But I want to go back to Golden State, losing a heartbreaker where the Lakers came back and beat them on the LeBron shot. Then Memphis beats them uh, in a game that Memphis honestly outplayed them, but they beat them by outplaying them in the final five minutes. So Golden State officially hates the play-in, Brian Edwards, because they were the eight seed. They lost both games. They had to play two games against two opponents in two cities, and they're out. Again, I come back to you. The, the NBA apparently is going to stick with this. Are you fine with sticking with the play-in to create the manufactured drama? Absolutely. I love it. Um, and Golden State's better off. Save Steph's legs. I know, I know they were playing well down the stretch and, and played well for uh, about 45, 46 minutes against the Lakers. But uh, save your legs when you have Wiseman and hell, Oubre was averaging about 17 or 18 points a game for them as well. And then obviously get Clay back next year. Save Steph and Draymond's legs. Memphis is going to be more competitive in the playoffs anyway, as I think as we're seeing. And um, 
F the Lakers. I wish Golden State would have beaten them, and then, <laughs> then Memphis would have beaten them. Who cares about the Lakers? Uh, and in the East, uh, so what, the Wizards ended up getting the eighth, and I'm trying uh, – who was the seventh? They, the Celtics had already won as the seventh yeah, in the yeah. head-to-head. The Wizards won the Friday night game with Indiana. Yeah. So that kind of went true to form. Because right. the Celtics would have been the seven and the Wizards would have been the right. eight if they left it alone. Again, Golden State, uh, I got a historical one for you. You know who the first team to ever hate the NBA draft lottery is, was, and is? The Golden State Warriors. Because oh. 1985, you can go back on YouTube and watch it in NBA they TV. They would have had Ewing and number they one. They would have had Patrick Ewing. They had the worst record in the NBA and the New York Knicks slid in that had like the ninth worst or the 10th worst record. And that those were the years when they were doing the big bubble cranking with the team logos and the envelopes. And there was a one in 11 chance and yeah. he pulled the golden state uh, or the New York Knicks as the number one team And golden state officially hated the lottery. They bemoaned mm-hmm. it. They never got Patrick. I hate it. Now they, the now- Hawks have never gotten in the top two. I, I know we <laughs> haven't been in the top two. I think right. we might've been third when we got Horford. I think we were third right. once. So now they hate the lottery for all time for that. Now they hate the play-in for all time because they would have been sure. in these playoffs and, and they're gone. All right, so let's turn our attention to the opening of the NBA playoffs. Again, at the time that we are taping, we have some of the knowledge of some of the series. The Nets, by the way, have bopped the Celtics for the first two games. We know that. Uh, we also uh, know that the Milwaukee Bucks beat the Heat the first two games. You really liked Miami as a possible underdog here, they're in some trouble in that series. Let's focus on Thursday night for a second. The Heat back home in Miami. There will be fans. It should be loud. The Heat are an underdog. Are you looking around at them possibly for Three Dog Thursday on Thursday night here, Brian Edwards? I am, and they did cover in game one for me. Obviously, they did not in game two. Uh, my series bet is is hanging on by a thread, but the old adage is the series doesn't start to a – I, um, a home team loses, and I think Spolstra will make the adjustments uh, needed. Look, they just got shot out of the building by Bryn Forbes and, and Connaughton, and that game was over in the first quarter. And then it was just, I mean, you know, they could have battled back or whatever. They didn't. But um, I, I think we'll see a different Miami team tomorrow night. And um, in a close game, I don't know that you can trust Giannis, man. He, he was not looking very good in, in game one at crunch time, missing some key free throws. Um, you know, he's got to show it to me in this time of year. I mean, obviously they played great. It was a blowout in, in game two. But um, I think I think we'll see a different Miami. Uh, Butler has not played well. But let's remember he missed a bunch of games down the stretch. Uh, he had a hard fall in game one on his wrist. Um, I mean, I hope he's not hurt. But – I. I mean, what he's playing, look, it's playoffs. He'll, he'll play. But uh, I think we'll get a better effort from Miami. I think they'll shoot it better. And I don't think Bryn Forbes is going to do what he did the other night again. So, yeah, I like the Miami Heat went out right uh, Friday night. Or Thursday, right. like Thursday. Thursday night, right, as we release here on Three Dog Thursday. And Brian, are, Brian and I are trying to keep it all straight because, again, we can't really go over Wednesday results because we don't have them on the show. But we are going to talk about the Friday games a little bit in advance later on in this podcast on Three Dog Thursday and the Friday matchups. We're going over the Thursday matchups here for the moment. The Lakers have won the first two games with the Suns. 
uh, or actually they've split, excuse me. It's 1-1. They're going back to Los Angeles on Three Dog Thursday. At the time we're taping, we don't know the availability of Chris Paul, who really stirs the drink as the point guard. Devin Booker is obviously outstanding too. The the game, uh, the Suns are an underdog at some books, but the game has been off the books some on Wednesday, I guess, because of Paul's injury status. What hope do you have that the Suns can at least sneak one of these games, maybe Thursday or on the weekend, and keep this series competitive? Or are the Lakers just going to put the stranglehold on it with LeBron and AD Anthony Davis both looking good here in the first two games? No, I, I, this this series is going deep uh, to at least six or seven, regardless of Chris Paul. And and I think Paul will, will gut it out and 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 – I don't know. He, I'm not saying he's going to be able to play effectively, but he'll be his presence on the court will do something. And look, Cameron Payne showed a lot last night. He'll obviously have increased minutes when Paul is not out there. And he had 19 points, uh, seven assists, uh, two block shots, a steal, it was a bundle of energy. Um, and so this team's not going to go away. I mean, Booker's going to do what he does. Um, Aiton is. Uh, 11 to 13 from the field last night. He, he's getting what he wants inside. Uh, Crowder will shoot better. Um, he's a, a veteran, you know, has been in, you know, helped Miami get in the finals last year. Uh, I like Phoenix plus seven tomorrow night, whether Chris CP3 can go or not. Phoenix is six and two, both straight up and against the spread as a road underdog this year. They're 24 and 12 straight up in 36 road games. Um, I think, I think Phoenix will be just fine. Uh, Lakers played good last night. Props to them. But uh, this will be a, a deep and competitive series. And again, uh, game three Thursday night, and then they're playing on the weekend for game four in the 2-2-1-1-1 format. And again, this is different, Brian, you know this, but for the audience, it's different than what happened in the playoffs in the bubble last year in Orlando, where everybody stayed in the same place. They were playing games on like back-to-back days sometimes because there was no travel. It was much easier. Everybody staying very close proximity to the arena, obviously. Much different now with the travel back and forth, airplanes, hotels, how will all of that work new variable in for everybody so if you're paying attention audience here for right now on three dog thursday he likes both the heat and the suns as the first two games for three dog thursday also for three dog thursday the portland trailblazers won one with the nuggets they got game one then the nuggets blew them out in game two earlier in the week this is game three thursday night in portland the nuggets getting four points again games three and four will be there we also know there will be a game five as well at minimum back in denver uh on this what did you are you want to make it three for three a hat trick on underdogs or do you like the blazers at home i know you've been high on them getting healthy yeah i won't be fading the blazers uh in uh in game three i still like portland for the series i bet them uh, before the series at pick them uh i did not bet them in game two i did bet them in game one so I'm one and zero in that series. I'll probably be looking at the favorite in that in that spot. All right, and again, that's the matchups for Thursday night. Later on in the podcast, we're going to come back with Brian. He's going to talk about the Friday night games. And again, we got to kind of uh, have a little projection because we don't know the Wednesday night results. Stand by, Brian. We're going to have much more of that. Again, Richard Deitch with me talking some sports media. I love his insight from The Athletic, formerly from SI.com. His sports media podcast is fantastic. And there's big doings about the NHL changing networks, uh, some ESPN stuff that has been going on. I love the insight 
uh, of, uh, of Richard Deitch. He's coming up here in the middle as we continue. But first, we're brought to you by our friends at WinBet, bringing you the action of real sports betting with the Win Las Vegas experience. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, sports, and games. Generous promos, odds, and parlays are happening right now at WinBet. Get started today. You'll receive a special offer for up to $500 risk-free on a sports bet. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at winbet.com. And download the app today. Again, that's wynnbet.com. And we're brought to you in part by Underdog Fantasy. If you haven't played on Underdog Fantasy, you have to check out their fantasy best ball tournaments, which are some of the best around, including Best Ball Mania 2. That tournament going on right now with your shot at a million dollars. Plus, you can play a number of games involving parlayed player props for MLB, the NBA, and more. And they have a special NBA playoffs best ball tournament coming up as well. Just go to underdogfantasy.com, use our promo code SGPN, and don't forget to enter the Best Ball Mania 2 tournament right now for your chance at a million dollars. That's underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Hey, do you ever feel like you're always on and what do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? Every day it seems to be go, 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 and it's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Well, guess what? You can reach for a Coors Light because it is made to chill. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button and do so with Coors Light. Reminder that Coors Light is cold, lagered, cold filtered, cold packaged. It's literally made to chill and it's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to un. Wine. Once again, Coors Light, the official beer, by the way, of the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs is Coors Light. And when you are thinking that it is time to cool off, to be refreshed, Memorial Day weekend or throughout the summer, when you reach for a Coors Light, you know it's made to chill. So again, with whatever you're doing, however fast it's going, however hot it is, remember our friends at Coors Light. Dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. And as we do roll on, it is my privilege and pleasure on the Three Dog Thursday podcast to welcome in, I believe, I'm buttering him up already, the premier sports media guy uh, that is out there uh, on the web, uh, anywhere that you're going to find the information, the analysis, the insight, the interviews. Uh, Richard Deitch does a fantastic job through The Athletic. I've followed his work and his podcast for a long time. And I finally landed the fish here on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. I get him on at a great time to talk about a lot that's happening with sports and sports media. Richard, great to have you here. Uh, I appreciate you coming on board. Uh, we're in the throes of like hockey playoffs. You're in Toronto where the Maple Leafs may actually win a playoff series for the first time uh, in decades. Of course, the Lightning are the defending Stanley Cup champions in Champa Bay where I am. So we, we have a lot in common here, a lot of interest that we're watching and a lot of different things to discuss. So it's good to have you. 
First of all, TJ, that overhyping of me, I really should leave the show at this point. I mean, I'm not comfortable with uh, that with that yeah. much praise, but I, I will I'll I will soldier on. Um, and regarding <laughs> Toronto and Tampa Bay, now one city is the city of champions. The other city, uh, we're looking for one playoff win here. Although we did have the Raptors a couple of years. That's ago. true. Well, you, they had the Raptors. You had the Blue Jays yeah. back in the '90s get 90, a couple. '92, '93. But you know, you, is it you, correct? Is it correct that Toronto? has not only not won a Stanley Cup, obviously, in 40 or 50 years, yeah, 67. but they, they had failed to to capitalize and win a series uh, when it was 2-2, two, 2-1, two, two, one, three, yes. one. 17, I mean, 17 years uh, since they won the first round, and they've, I believe the stat is correct, they've, they've been 2-2 two, two, or 1-1 one, one, um, in eight different, playoff series and have failed to I think it's 2-2 and failed to win that third game which obviously as you know if you're down 3-2 much different if you're up 3-2 but you know as we're taping this they're up 3-1 against Montreal I'd be very surprised if they don't advance and then you know we'll see what happens with Winnipeg without John Tavares but this has been obviously for all of us a very strange year with the pandemic but for the Canadian teams they probably will never have a better opportunity to get to the semifinals just how the setup is you know you know if you're the maple Leafs, you don't have to face the lightning which has been a killer for you you don't have to face the bruins which has been a killer for you so i don't think the maple Leafs will have a better opportunity to go uh this deep even though they're a good team in quite some time so um there's been a lot of expectations here they've been the best team in the north the whole year and and i think the 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 fan base i think will exhale if they can get one more victory over montreal well put on that. And of course, we had experience horribly, horrifically with having the best team in the entire NHL, the Lightning back three seasons ago now. Right. Uh, well, yeah, three seasons ago, three playoffs ago. And then they get swept in the opening round by the Columbus Blue Jackets. And you talk about having the tablecloth yanked out from under the Thanksgiving feast before you ever got to eat it. I mean, it was was mind-boggling so it just shows you how how it is a second season how difficult it is to translate and again one more at the time that we're releasing the podcast for thursday uh the lightning are playing a wednesday night another elimination game for the panthers they're up the lightning three to two playing at home and they want no part of game seven in miami on friday got to take care of business tonight or the defending cup champions could be in some trouble here Let's see. And, and again, the audience that's listening may already know that the Lightning put it away, won the series, and have moved on to get the winner of Carolina and Nashville. And then again, you may be listening and know it's now game seven in Miami. And just along those lines, in terms of hockey, basketball, or the World Series, there truly is nothing like a game seven. I mean, I, I submit there's nothing like the NCAA tournament with the one and done all the way through the final four in the championship game where you're, you're hanging over the cliff the whole time on whether or not you're going to survive advance, be eliminated, but game sevens are something special. And we're going to get a bevy of them coming up here in the hockey and the basketball playoffs. Right. Yeah. And in my, you know, my world, obviously covering um, sports media executives as a general rule, don't root for teams. They root for length. They root for the length of the series. And, you know, if you have the NHL as a property, if you have the NBA as a property, you want game sevens because because um, there's a real good chance you can get casual sports fans to tune in who really have no connection to those home markets. So while I think the NCAA tournament obviously is a great property, uh, a game seven in a professional sport is, I think, more of a um, unique television experience. Then let's say the second round of the NCAA tournament when, you know, obviously someone is going to advance and someone is going to be eliminated, but you're right. I mean, again, as someone uh, 
who has no connection to Tampa Bay or Florida, if they get to game seven, I'll be really interested in that just for the sake of watching uh, two pro teams that will be elim- one of them will be eliminated that day. Yeah, and it's a, it's the same. We're detached with Montreal and Toronto if it's a game seven, and and exactly. what it would mean for either one of those. When you contemplate again, one more that no Canadian team has won a Stanley Cup in the two thousands. That is yeah. mind boggling. Uh, the drama that's going on north of the border for Montreal and Toronto fans, and for hockey fans in Canada. It is a big deal. All right, so that's kind of like the appetizer. What we really have you here for is to talk lots of sports media, and my Lord, do we have a lot of different subjects you've been covering about it, uh, writing about it uh, in The Athletic, covering it on your podcast. I listened to you and, uh, and James Miller last week on your podcast talking about the departure of ESPN's Kenny Maine. Um, again, one of the old guard, one of the institutions, one of the guys that helped build ESPN2, for example, back in the 90s, one of the sports center institutions. I was disappointed to learn that they couldn't work something out. Maybe some of that is Kenny Mayne realizes he's got more money somewhere else in another deal. You'll have more insight on that. And now at the time we're taping, he has done his farewell. I thought it was a nice touch. They let him do farewell sports centers. He chose to do it. Richard, what's your reaction as a, a guy that had been doing sports center and ESPN stuff for 25 years said goodbye on the air earlier this week? Well, you know, there's a lot there. Um, you know, if you look at it sort of writ large, like Kenny Maine had a lottery ticket career at ESPN and no one would argue otherwise. You work at a place like that for close to um, 30 years. Uh, that's that's an incredible career. Obviously, was well compensated for those years. Got to work at ESPN when ESPN was really in its heyday. Essentially, a you know a walking, talking ATM, basically printing money left and right. And so he's had a great career. I mean, there's no arguing that. How it ended is interesting to me. And you know, I'm one when I write about this stuff. I generally side much more with talent than management, even if talent are millionaires, because you're really dealing with it's just like sports. It's millionaires versus billionaires, the same kind of idea. And so when ESPN management um, asked Kenny Mayne to take a 61 percent pay cut, they were clearly telling him, like, we don't want you to work here anymore. Um, again, understanding that even a 61 percent pay cut for Kenny Maine will still be more money than most Americans will ever make in a yearly salary like everybody understands that but within that framework if your employer tells you to take a 60 percent raise like they're telling you that they don't value your work so if you're Kenny Maine in that situation you really got to make a decision do you do you take that pay cut do you sort of live with the fact that your you know your management is telling you that they don't really value your worth, at least compared to what you previously did? Or do you look at the look at the landscape and say to yourself, you know what, I think there's money to be made out here. And the difference for Kenny Mayne in what happened to him in 2021 versus let's say 2016, 2014, is all of the money that's coming with sports gambling. There's just so much money out there, whether it's, you know, your DraftKings or FanDuel or et cetera. Um, there's there's money to be made for Kenny Maine to either be an independent and create some kind of, um, you know, just making this up podcast, sure. you know, vi- video podcast, audio podcast, uh, digital show, or to join a smaller company like the company that John Skipper and Dan Levitar to form Metal Lark Media and be one of their players where they're creating content for others. So Maine, I think just uh, having talked to him, just decided that he thought he could be he thought he could do much better financially and perhaps even creatively by declining ESPN's offer. I give ESPN credit on this. They did allow him 
to sort of be himself for the last two weeks of his tenure. Um, and they were rewarded for it. His last show with Aaron Rodgers and Sue Bird and Marshawn Lynch is one of the most talked about sports centers I've now seen in maybe a couple of years at this point, particularly that Aaron Rodgers interview. So I think in the end, everybody got what they want, but um, it does tell you something about ESPN at this point that they really are looking to cut salaries, particularly the salaries of a lot of longtime older people who've been working there for, for, for multiple years. Voice of uh, Richard Deitch with me here on the three dog Thursday podcast, Richard writes sports media as well or better than almost anybody. You find him at Richard Deitch on Twitter. You find him through the athletic. He's got a new column out at the time that we're taping midweek about Kenny Maine with insight on that. And we're going to cover some other subjects too, but anything with sports media, love this man's insight. And I would submit a couple things and want your reaction to this once Chris Berman is, is the iconic studio anchor from ESPN. There's no disputing that from the, from the beginning of ESPN and all the way through. And once for whatever reasons, political, who likes who or whatever, ESPN said, we're going to let Chris Berman's contract expire and say, see you later. That should have put everybody else's head on a swivel that it doesn't matter who you are, what you were making or whatever. If they're going to get rid of that guy, if they're going to say to that guy, you don't have the golden ticket or the lottery ticket, as you put it, to stay here as long as you want, doing whatever you want for the money that you're making, then they all should have been ready for that and understood that. I think Bob Lee, his fellow colleague, who I know you have great affinity for Bob Lee's work, his investigative work, um, the uh, the journalistic side of Sports Center and, and also digging deep on on documentaries and investigative reporting. I think Bob Lee saw the handwriting on the wall too that if they're going to walk Chris Berman out the door, they will walk me out the door too. Is that is that not accurate here at ESPN that they should have all been on notice when that was going on? Uh, somewhat accurate, not a hundred percent accurate. So I'll, I'll sort of fill in like as best I can. Bob Lee really made it. That was Bob Lee's choice to walk away. Um, I, he he could have continued on in some form in ESPN, I think for quite some time. What changed with Bob Lee, of course, is that outside the lines, um, the prominence of outside the lines changed. You know, we, we both know that, you know, this was a daily show for a long time. Um, if you go back further, it was a Sunday morning staple. Uh, basically, it was sort of part of their sports reporters um, and outside the lines block. I think ESPN has made a significant step back in how much sort of journalistic things they do. Just look at all the reporters and writers they've laid off in the last uh, five years. So while they still do journalism, I mean, don't get me wrong, um, they've just stepped back from that. I mean, they, they've really become far more of a rights acquisition, um, you know, air the games and then air, you know, opinion-based debate or opinion-based talk around it. Uh, the Berman case was interesting. I mean, you know, I think anybody who's read me knows I'm not the biggest Berman fan. I certainly respect his history at ESPN and, um, and he, he, in terms of his NFL highlight work, I mean, sort of like uh, invented it for ESPN and one of the greatest mm -hmm. to ever, to ever do it. I think that was more of a case of, um, you know, he's making a lot of money and I think they ultimately wanted to change that show. Um, I'm not saying what their changes have been, have been like, you know, slam dunk can't miss. I mean, that Sunday morning countdown or Sunday NFL countdown show continues to sort of be tweaked and turned and, you know, it's not like I think, you know, Rex Ryan and some of these other hires have been um, game changing. But I think Berman got caught up a little bit in that they were looking to reduce salary. They were looking to make creative changes. Um, Tom Jackson and him, I think they sort of just decided at that time that um, they were going to go a different direction. Again, to ESPN's credit, though, they brought those guys back for ESPN Plus 
And mm-hmm. I think that's the best of all words. So if you're an old school Berman fan, you could still get Chris Berman if you subscribe to their streaming service. And, you know, they still have the Sam Ponder, uh, you know, Rex Ryan, Randy Moss group in the in the morning on Sundays uh, for for a different look. But I know where your point is coming from. And you're not wrong. Like if you're particularly someone who's been there a long time, who's made a ton of money, like unless you're Stephen A. Smith, Mike Greenberg or Scott Van Pelt, which clearly management has basically, you know, sprinkled the magic dust and said, you're our guys. Um, you should be worried because if you're making a ton of money and your contract's coming up, they're going to try to reduce you. I mean, that, that is, I think they've made that very clear. And Kenny Maine was an example of that. Trey Wingo very recently was an example Absolutely. of that. Mike Golick very recently an example of that. I mean, they've gotten rid of a lot of high salaried people who had tons of institutional knowledge there with, what they have done is they have said, and you could criticize them or you could say maybe this is modern business. They're not valuing institutional knowledge anymore. They, they have decided that that is not worth money to them. Well, and another way to put it, too, and I've been in this business a long time and you've been in and around the business a long time, too. Loyalty is whatever they say it is it, yep, when you're in charge. Lo- loyalty is whatever we say it's going to be loyalty. We'll, lo- we'll be loyalty to a certain loyal to a certain point, loyal with your money at a certain point. It's whatever we say it is in terms of being loyal to you. All right. A uh, few more subjects to cover with you while I have you here. Uh, the NHL, and, and I got some comments on this, but I want your insight. All right, so the NHL has decided to go with two new television partners. We covered this a couple of weeks ago on this podcast. ESPN is back in after a 15-year absence as a full-on partner that will also broadcast the Stanley Cup playoffs and the Stanley Cup finals in part. The other piece is Turner, very interesting, and TNT, and I'm not sure if TBS is involved in that. You can add on and correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, Turner and TNT are now in as well as as joint partners with ESPN to televise the playoffs uh, and the Stanley Cup as well as regular season games. So for the first time in 15 years, it will be off of NBC completely and be on two new outlets. There is news this week. You're writing about it. The great one, Wayne Gretzky, is now coming out of the Edmonton front office, and he was previously a coach as well with Arizona and maybe somebody else in the NHL post-playing post career. Uh, he's going to now be the lead studio analyst for the new Turner coverage next year. Kenny Albert and Ed Olchek, Eddie Olchek, who I think is one of the most underrated analysts um, of any sport right now on TV, they're going to be the Turner uh, tandem. First, a reaction to ESPN and Turner getting in, and then I want to get into NBC signing off here with hockey. Go ahead, Richard, with your reaction to all of this, including some monster hires by Turner, if you would. Yeah, so I was surprised. I actually thought NBC would retain when this process started um, because they really had invested a lot in hockey. I know that their, uh, their management and their personnel really likes hockey. Like it, it's, it's something that they thought was part of their DNA. Probably where I miscalculated in terms of the analysis is, you know, they really they had to get the N- the NFL. They had to keep Sunday Night Football. They spent a, obviously an inordinate amount of money for that, and I think they just made some strategic decisions that like there's only so much money to go around. They have the Premier League coming up in terms of if they want to re up with that. So you know, I think they they just they made a decision financially regarding how far they could go, and I think once they saw where the numbers were heading with the NHL, they decided that they were out of that. So that gets to ESPN 
and Turner. I'm not surprised the ESPN got back into hockey. I think it's something they've always wanted to do. I think they like the demographics of the sport, which are younger. They skew much younger than baseball or football. Uh, they're probably around basketball. And, you know, um, probably a lot of your listeners won't know this, but like when I say skew younger, that's still mid forties for your average viewer. It's not 25. <laughs> it's not e-gaming, but in television world, that's a very good number to have in the forties. It's good discretionary income. So I wasn't surprised that ESPN um, went in. Um, I was a little surprised how aggressive they were to get the top package to essentially what the NHL calls the A package. And so, um, and so they grabbed that. And then once NBC sort of really indicated that they weren't interested in sticking around and certainly for a B package, well then Turner obviously becomes a logical fit, um, because they have interest in expanding their live sports. Um, and so the short answer is, yeah, if you would have asked me a year ago, would ESPN and Turner have gotten these packages? I would have been I would have been like, that does not ring true to me. If I had to guess for an outside partner, I would have guessed Fox because Fox has um, made significant investment in live sports. They've gotten rid of all their scripted programming, basically. Had done hockey before. Had, had done, done hockey, hockey before. Great point. Um, you know, have the WWE. So they sort of they have a night on Friday where they basically said, you know, we're in sports entertainment. And so, you know, doing live sports is not so far away from that. Um, and so, yeah, I was surprised. In terms of the hires, um, I, I think Kenny Albert and Eddie Olchuk, who have already been hired by Turner, are excellent hires. Like you, I think Olchuk's an excellent analyst. Uh, Kenny Albert is a pro uh, when it comes to calling games. That's a great start for them, great foundational start to essentially have their Stanley Cup uh, final and probably, you know, whatever conference game they get uh, broadcasters. So that's that's big. Gretzky is obviously going to get a ton of attention. Um, he's the most famous, f- most famous hockey player on earth, most famous person probably connected to hockey on earth. So in terms of marquee and in terms of being able to promote him, you know, you, you're really, I think, paying for the name in a sense. The question is how good will Wayne Gretzky be as an analyst? He's not going to be Charles Barkley. He's never, con- he's never been a guy who sort of says edgy or controversial things. Um, I think what Turner has to figure out is how to make him comfortable in the studio and to use his storytelling of sort of things that he saw when he played and his ability maybe to diagnose like X's and O's in the game. Gretzky's strength will be explaining the game to us through his eyes. His strength will not be saying something that goes viral or something that's crazy like Barkley or, or Shaq do. Criticism. So, Criticism. Yeah, which is very tough for Wayne. He's a, he's a nice guy. It's not really in his, uh, his, his, his arsenal. So I honestly, I, I think that hire is no slam dunk. Um, I think there's risk with that hire. It's a big name, but it could go South pretty fast. I, I think they have a big challenge with Wayne in the studio. And then I'll be curious to see what ESPN does. I think they will stick with um, in-house people for their top uh, team. So you'll, you'll get either Steve Levy or Sean McDonough, calling games they'll have to figure out who their top analyst would be but certainly maybe barry melrose maybe returns to that form and then they'll use you know a combination of the linda cones and butchagrasses and and people like that and then yeah i expect some names from the outside to come in i would not be surprised if some former nbc uh game callers or some people in canada at tsn or sportsnet end up at espn uh doing their hockey coverage The one analogy that I will draw is Joe Montana was phenomenal, obviously, as a quarterback. And NBC in the 90s tried him as an analyst. And you know, I heard the chuckle that it was painful to watch 
him trying to do what they wanted him to do or volunteer different than being interviewed to volunteer your own analysis, to volunteer your own insight and your own criticism. And I don't know how it'll be with Wayne Gretzky or not, but that's just a parallel that Montana was just phenomenal on the field. And it was the, the complete opposite yeah. uh, as an analyst. We'll the, see. The, the, thing, yeah, the one thing I would say, I mean, you've been in television and like the one thing that they're going to have to work on with Wayne is energy. Like they're going to have to get him going right away. And that's not easy to do. Like, you know, that it's it, television is a very unnatural thing and you have to get used to the unnaturalness of television. And that's the thing when Wayne is in the studio and it's quiet and there's all these cameras around these lights around you, you know, you gotta, you gotta bring it. You gotta, you gotta be energy personified and that's fake. You are essentially faking that because the environment is a fake environment. And so that's going to be the challenge for Wayne is can he, can he get into that environment? Can he sort of self-start when it comes to being on air? Um, and we'll see, you know, um, he will have great people working with him. There's very good producers there. So he'll have good people working with him. And then, then it'll be up to him. Love this with Richard uh, Deitch here for just a couple of more moments as part of the Three Dog Thursday podcast. I got so much to cover with him. I'm trying to get to all of it. I got to say one thing uh, here uh, that the NBC production here at the end of it deserves to be criticized by me. I don't know if you want to pile on and join in. It is clear here at the end, understandably, they're mailing in the end of their run uh, here of producing the NHL because they know they're out of the hockey business in a month. To that end, all of their announcers right now are in a New York studio or somewhere else remotely in a studio, if it's the ones in Canada that are calling it, et cetera. Uh, the production value is poor. The announcers are lost because they're not in the arena. The hope will be that for the final four, especially if the Lightning are there, Richards in Toronto, if the Maple Leafs are there, that the announcers will at least be on scene because in watching this early on in all these different playoff series, you have announcers that don't know what the call is on the ice. Something has happened behind the play. They have no clue. They have no extra monitor to tell them what went on behind what we're seeing on the main monitor. They have no, they see a replay and the replay doesn't show them what they're looking for it's just bad uh it, it to me this is my opinion again they are mailing it in here on the they're coasting on the final three or four weeks of their deal to get out of the hockey business and i really wish it would be better um uh, here at the end i don't know if you have any reaction to that i'm just telling you what i've seen the last two weeks out of that and it's it's a shame because it's not very good right now yeah so here's what i would say to that i, I mean i you know i don't think the broadcasters or the producers are mailing it in just because like you know it's still their reputation they still want to be professional but where i do agree with you on is that they they, they have clearly made some decisions uh, in terms of prioritizing stuff and they made a decision they will say it's safety base and i think sometimes it is but we've seen other networks now send their people to games and the reality is hockey to me may be the hardest sport to do from home because of how tough it is to see the puck you really are doing a disservice to viewers by not having the announcers in the arena. I'm with you on that. It's a little easier for basketball. Um, it's probably, uh, it's probably, you know, for baseball, it, you could probably pull it off again. I think there's all value in being there, but you get enough cameras. You probably could see everything with baseball. Uh, hockey's just tough. It's a fast game. The puck is hard to pick up and I'm with you. Um, I am with you that I think they should be at this point in the U S I think they should be on site. Canada's different. Um, you know, they're, the border is closed. There are, there are COVID restrictions here. It's not going to happen here. So I understand that. I would say one other thing when it comes to NBC, and I think this is honestly a factor. 
I think they are trying to figure out how to gear up for the Olympics in terms of who they're going to send and what they're going to do with personnel. And I think their focus, honestly, is so hard, right? So much on Tokyo now, particularly how challenging Tokyo is going to be that I, I do think you are right in, in, in some ways in that they know this is a lame duck property for them. And what are you going to do in terms of really sort of focusing your resources on? You're going to do it on the Olympics, which you have for the next 10 plus years, or are you doing on the NHL, which you have for the next seven weeks? I mean, that's a, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm not saying it's right. I'm just telling you business wise. I, I, I think that's what they're doing. Well, and again, the they, so that I can clarify, is not the announcers and the producers that are doing no, the No, I think management, man, management ultimately puts everybody in a certain role. Uh, That's exactly right. Fill. I would just say, like, the, the only reason I push back a little bit on you when it comes to sort of, um, um, you know, sort of saying that 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 the producers and or the announcers are sort of, sort of you know, not caring is, like, reputationally, you just can't do that because you're not going to, you no, might not work not. for NBC forever. Yeah. Right. So and I'm, I'm not saying they don't care. I'm saying at the higher level, the executives, the people in charge obviously yeah. are making this decision from a production standpoint. And let me give you one piece of insight. Use this future column, uh, et cetera. I come out of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio broadcast. Great Super Bowl season that we had. I've talked openly about this on the air everywhere that we did every game remotely, Richard, for this past season. We did all of the regular season games and all of the playoff games, including the Super Bowl at Raymond James Stadium. But for eight of the road games in the regular season and three road playoff games, we did them off of TV out of Raymond James Stadium. But wow. the NFL and my Buccaneer boss and a lot of the other radio bosses really hammered home. We need extra views of the field, the all 22 up high camera view. We right. need that. So the analyst can see that because he's not at the stadium and he's not able to see defensive coverage blitz. Where'd it come from? Whatever. The push was made internally that we want this to like the army slogan, be all it can be the TV ads. We want this to be all it can be. And it was phenomenal to watch all of that from behind the scenes. It can be done. You look at the production that ESPN was having to do when Kirk Herbstreet, for example, couldn't be at their college football playoff semifinal game. They had the ability for him to run the entire broadcast, I think, out of his home in Nashville with all the cameras they set up and all the stuff that they did. It just seems to me, unfortunately, here, we're stuck in the early rounds of the playoffs with NBC announcers that are looking at one TV monitor, and whatever that gives them, that's it. And, and it's just, it's it's painful. When, yeah. the, when you know, Kenny I, I, Albert, yeah. My, my quick thing is that it will get better as the, sure. as the, as the playoffs go on. But I, I think that criticism is fair. It's, yeah. it, it, the, the playoffs have not been produced, I think, as highly as we've seen in the past. I think that's a there fair you go. criticism. And when a, when, a, when a fantastic broadcaster like Kenny Albert clearly doesn't know what is the call, what are they calling on the ice, what happened yeah. behind the play, I don't know. It's just not good. All right, yep. we, belabored, we belabored that enough. You wrote something about this. You're big into wrestling. I'm not as big into wrestling as I was at one time, but I do keep up with it. But interesting that Adnan Verk, who worked at ESPN, who also worked for DAZN, um, got an opportunity to be part of the WWE's broadcast, live broadcast, calling professional wrestling. And the best analogies now that people can identify with, this was like the Super League over in European soccer. This is like <laughs> Scaramucci. This is like the Scaramucci. He, he didn't last, what, two months as the announcer. I know you've written some about this here. It is a farewell already for Adnan Verk here. Yeah, the but I, I wish I'd thought of that. The Adnan of WWE. There you go. Well, so I think it's twofold. One, I, I do believe the you know sort of what has come out publicly 
that the schedule is a lot for Adnan is true. Uh, like I, I think at um, he has a lot of jobs and maybe he should have realized this heading in. But I think once the announcement came that they were going to be traveling on the road and as he, I think, looked at what the travel for WWE would mean in relation to him doing, you know, uh, MLB studio work or NHL studio work or the stuff with Metal Ark, um, it's a lot. You know, he's got four kids at home. And again, if you want to make the argument, well, you know, if you're going to be the WWE announcer, like you got to know the setting in, I think that's a fair argument to make. I mean, I agree with you. Like that's, it's not an easy job and you got to travel. Did you so think he was a good fit as an announcer? Because I like that's Adnan. a lot of the blowback. That's yeah, a lot I like of Adnan. Blowback. I like Adnan a lot. I don't hide that. I think he's a, I think he's an excellent broadcaster. I think he's a good guy. No, I think the fit was weird. I, I, I just, I, I would, I think he is a skilled enough broadcaster where if given time, he maybe he makes it work, but it's it's it was an odd fit um and i think it was very clear over the first couple of weeks it was an odd fit as he tried to use the jargon and the nomenclature of wrestling it sounded like a good broadcaster who was sort of parachuting in as opposed to somebody who's basically been there for you know five ten years um and then the other thing is i think um i mean i don't know this for sure but this would be my sort of analysis of it is i think vince mcmahon after a very short amount of time did not like what he was hearing. He didn't like, he didn't think the connection existed with the audience, which I think is fair. I don't think he loved the sound that he was hearing out of raw and Vince McMahon historically has been someone who has uh, screwed around and tinkered with his broadcasters left and right. So you couple, you couple how Adnan was feeling on his schedule with, I think Vince thinking long-term, this isn't going to work. And I think that's how you ended up with your result. There we go on that. Richard's got to get out of here in just a minute. Uh, by the way, one more Marv Albert, and I'm getting I'm getting one more plug in here. I've been plugging away for George Offman. He's got the podcast out with a previous interview with Marv Albert telling great stories, but they also, Richard, address in that podcast Marv talking about retirement, just in general terms, about doing games from home, if that was readying him for retirement. And now, as it turns out, at 80 years of age, iconic NBA voice, he is departing. Say, say something about this, because this man has been doing the NBA, and even at the highest level for the better part of about 30 years, but he's been doing the NBA for about 50 years, uh, Marv Albert, and he is about to have his swan song here in Turner's NBA playoffs coverage. W what about Marv, who uh, is, is on the way out shortly here? Yeah, I mean, listen, he's the most iconic NBA broadcaster in history. Um, it's really not – you can't really argue that. His impact on the game is massive and immense, um, particularly in the New York area where he called the Knicks uh, for so many, so many years. Uh, he was the voice of NBC during the Jordan era, which is, you know, the most successful era, I think, in the history of that league. So his, um, you know, his broadcasting sort of experience and legacy is uh, – is unparalleled in that sport. I will say over the last couple of years, he was not as good as he once was. Um, I think by a lot, quite frankly, I think there's some older broadcasters who I always feel were pretty close to their prime. Mike Emmerich is a perfect example. I never really sure. thought he fell off um, that much, but I thought if I'm going to be honest, I thought Marv did. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that he should be removed because of that. I still think, you know, Marv, Al a reduced Marv Albert is still a top broadcaster. I just, um, the sound, he was off. I mean, and the pandemic did not help him because not being there, I think really um, is a challenge for a guy like Marv, who, you know, for decades and decades and decades, his whole crap was about being courtside. That's how he calls a game. And now you're asking the guy to call stuff off monitors left and right. It's, it's a too abnormal 
inexperience. The other thing with Marv is, and it has to factor in, is is the sexual assault trial um, that happened in the 90s. Marv is very lucky in one sense in that if that happened during the Me Too era or if that happened like in the last couple of years, Marv Albert would not be working anymore. It'd be done. Um, so in a sense, he benefited from the the one major scandal of his life happened at a in a pre-internet pre me two era um and so he was he was allowed to continue with his career and he had a great second career you know after the nbc career was over he found a second life at turner and um and and you know obviously had an amazing career probably should also know too he was an amazing boxing broadcaster um yes. way back in the day called some amazing fights uh, with Ferdy Pacheco, you know, probably younger people probably have never seen that, but, um, and he was very funny on Letterman and in his talk show appearances. So, you know, this is, this guy's had one of the all time great broadcasting careers, you know, in if, if you're going to do like the cliched Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore hall of fame, he's certainly on the Mount Rushmore for basketball. And then in terms of, you know, your all time, it's really probably just a preference of what sport you like, but you will never be able to talk about basketball broadcasters for the next 200 years without mentioning Marv Albert. That's a pretty good legacy. Yeah, that is a, that's a great legacy on that. And again, George has got all kinds of stories from him about doing the boxing and traveling the world, uh, including the Olympics. I did not remember this story. Uh, the Olympics in Seoul in 1988, not only known for Roy Jones being absolutely robbed of his decision yeah, and his gold right. medal, but Marv was relaying the story of the Korean boxer who thought he had gotten an unfair decision and, and the Korean boxer sat down in the ring and they could not have any more fights in that ring and he sat there for hours until they turned all the lights off and were emptying everything out and no one would go and make him move and Marv was telling that story as well and I didn't remember that so that's where in the podcast world uh, these guys can relate these stories and Marv um, again, going all the way back to Willis Reed and calling that on the radio. I mean, he was relaying the story, just one more plug for George's podcast, that he interviewed Willis Reed a little while before that game. And his thought as a young broadcaster was, this guy can't walk. He can't mm. do anything. He's telling me he's going to play. He's not going to be able to do it. And then he said, I got chills. I still get chills watching him walk out of that tunnel on, on tape uh, 50 years ago. That's 50 years ago, Richard, that that happened. So Marv's career has spanned for a while. And they'll, they'll uh, have, I'm sure, tributes, et cetera, to him signing off on Turner when it happens. Listen, I have kept you longer than what we agreed to. Thank you. Bill me right? uh, double. Bill me triple <laughs> yeah, uh, for what we did here. My, lawyer, my lawyers will be in touch. Your people will be in touch <laughs> uh, with my people, and we'll get that worked out. Follow Richard Deitch on social media at Richard Deitch. Spell it D-E-I-T-S-C-H. Uh, Richard, again, with The Athletic is a great read. The podcast as well. The sports media podcast can be found with Richard Deitch wherever you get podcasts. I think I got all your plugs in. Richard, we appreciate it. Be well. Take care of those twins, and we'll see what happens in the hockey playoffs and much more. Thank you. Thank you. We are back in once more, senior handicapper from Vegas Insider, MajorWager.com. He is Brian Edwards uh, as we get ready to talk. Uh, a little more about the NBA playoffs and the Friday night games, because again, we released three dog Thursday for the weekend on Thursday. We try to keep it relevant, not only Thursday, Friday, if we can, but into Saturday, the NBA playoffs doing that Stanley cup playoffs doing that. We'll be watching all of this Indianapolis 500, by the way, this weekend, the baseball, all else 
that's going on this weekend that we're interested in. Uh, Brian, as we call you back in, before we get back to the basketball, I know we want to plug again that the games of the year lines and spreads are out in college football. I say again to the Three Dog Thursday audience, you can never get enough college football, especially on this podcast. Brian has been with me for a couple of years now. We will talk college football, not just in the football season. We'll talk it in February. We'll talk it in May. We'll talk it in July before it all gets going. So I know you've been writing about this on MajorWager.com. You talked a bunch about it last week. A couple of more things that have caught your attention as you continue to do research on lines that are already out, and in particular for underdogs, because you've got a chance to get them much more pricey in May, right, as we as we look at this again. Yeah, so the South Point opened their games of the year Friday, but they had a lot of line movement. There was a big crowd, you know, with Vegas sharp guys that were, you know, they're always there, lined up. They announced it like a week in advance, you know, we're going to be taking – uh, I think it was $500 maximum bets and you can make three, then you got to go to the back of the line. And then they're just, you know, within like a few bets, they're switching the line. So they opened Alabama 13 against Miami, but it shot up to 16, which it was north of 14 at DraftKings and FanDuel last week. Um, Alabama is obviously a double digit favorite in all their games, but they weren't the South point wasn't as bullish on Alabama as the DraftKings and FanDuel were. And so you've seen FanDuel and DraftKings adjust some of their lines. Now Alabama is pretty much down to 11 and a half at AM. Uh, that's obviously going to be uh, an enormous game that falls on October 9th. Um, Florida is still uh, around six and a half to seven and a half, depending on where you are. And that's a game that I like the Gators uh, as long as you can buy the half point to seven or if you can get seven or seven and a half. I think that's a steal in terms of, uh, uh, I don't, can I just mention a favorite that I think is easy pickings in week one? Give me a, give me an easy pickings favorite and we'll see if the line holds up. Cause again, this is may and we have no idea once the games start getting played, but what jumped out to you? Yeah. LSU being only three and a half, uh, at UCLA. Now UCLA lost four, one possession games last year and they've got, uh, 18 starters coming back. So that seems to be the, uh, respect being given them. They did get a couple of nice wins, one at Arizona State last year, but that's going to be a game one in the trenches, uh, and LSU will dominate both sides of the ball uh, inside the trenches. The offensive So we're line, looking line. at it as even in May here, you believe that that line is too small, and if you're thinking about the Bruins – you're going to need many more points than that once we get towards the opening weekend, right, in the Rose Bowl, even though that it's at home. Yeah, I think LSU, if you're seven or fewer uh, and you're a good bit fewer than that right now, you're golden. They should they should run the football down their throat the whole game. And, look, they've got a quarterback controversy. T.J. Finley is transferred to Auburn. It's down to Brad Johnson's son, Max Johnson. I know you're familiar with Brad yep. Johnson. Obviously, Max Johnson and uh, Miles Brennan, who played great in three games last year before he had the shoulder injury that sidelined him for the year. So it doesn't matter what quarterback's playing. Um, LSU should smash uh, UCLA. Love, uh, love the bull, Brad Johnson, my Buccaneers Super Bowl. You see that hat if you're if you're seeing us, the Super Bowl winning hat for the Buccaneers from 2002 Super Bowl year with Brad Johnson at the quarterback. And here we go again with I don't want to accept you and I are contemporaries. 
that Brad Johnson's son could be playing major college football, but he definitely is. I remember little Max when he was running around in that Super Bowl season and Brad Johnson's holding him in his arm as a toddler, that Super Bowl celebration in San Diego. And now he's the LSU quarterback. And, and what won the Florida game came in like in relief in the Florida game. Uh, sorry for the bad memory there on that, but that's hard to accept for me right now with father time. That his, Do you know uh, his the all-time leading – uh, free throw percentage in FSU basketball history is? I'm thinking that's Brad Johnson as a dual sport player for Florida State in football and in, in basketball. Yeah, he told me that as he was taking my money uh, at uh, Doc's Sports Bar. They had a little basketball goal. We were shooting for cash, and he, he just looked at me and goes, you know, the all-time leading – you know, he's looking at me, free throw shooter in FSU basketball history, and he never stopped looking at me, and he made the shot. But he, yeah. he had to work for that money. He had to and work. You, it wasn't like you, I was throwing up a bunch of bricks. But you he just said point taken. I'm happy to give a Super Bowl winning quarterback uh, my money on that one. So <laughs> he again, had not the won game. It yet. He was at Minnesota yet. I mean, at, oh, that, at that time, time. he had not okay. won. Yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't remember uh, with him that he was maybe bigger on those basketball teams at the end of Pat the Kennedy. 90s and, and the early uh, end of the 80s and the early 90s for Pat Kennedy and not as much a thought of quarterback coming out of Florida State, certainly not like Charlie Ward was a couple of years right. later as the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, et cetera. And what, what a tradition Florida State has had, obviously, with quarterbacks, three Heisman winners as well. And your Gators have had Heisman winners at quarterback uh, as well, not to, to short them. So, again, we, can, we can't talk enough college football uh, here as uh, we continue to discuss all of this um, here with Brian Edwards. And we encourage everybody to go check it out at MajorWager.com for the games of the year, et cetera, et cetera. And everything that happens, that happens uh, with college football, go to MajorWager.com. And the Vegas Insider, you'll have picks on all of that. But for right now, with everything that's going on, uh, check into that. Uh, uh, through all of uh, all of your outlets for college football, because like just one more time, like you said, you can get some of these games right now at a price that will be different once the games are being played and may lower drastically, or it could even be a big enough swing where the team is now a favorite, let's say, and you're getting points in May. That's the incentive for putting the lines out. Yeah, and then, you know, you, you have summer shenanigans. You find out a week in advance and five players are going to be suspended. Maybe you get a big hedge or maybe you just feel good about your position, where you're at, et cetera. Um, things could happen that could be that work for you or against you. So there is some risk, but there's also potentially getting a great number. Like I think everybody that got Alabama at 14 or fewer against Miami got a steal uh, last week at the South Point on Friday. And again, that's the opening game for the weekend, and we'll see how much line movement there is from that. I again say to you, I don't know what's going to happen the first weekend of the first couple of weeks. I, I can't rely on what's going to happen in late October or November before we know who's doing what with anybody, with maybe the exception of the Tide. But it's worth pointing out again, they lose quarterback, they lose star running back, they lose two star receivers, two key offensive linemen. How do you know how Alabama's truly going to look offensively until you see a game or two? Uh, for some of these. So lots of college football talk here on Three Dog Thursday. Brian Edwards with me for a few more moments. By the way, I didn't mention back in the earlier segment, the, the internet trolling game by Tom Brady of my Super Bowl champion Buccaneers. Phenomenal. This golf match that he's going to play with Phil Mickelson in July. Second year in a row, he's going to play a team match with Phil. This time it's Aaron Rodgers and Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, DeChambeau has become like the, the World Wrestling Federation heel right now of professional golf. 
So, so Tom Brady trolling Aaron Rodgers, trolling Bryson DeChambeau on social media midweek is amazing. And I'm looking forward to the golf tag team match with he and Phil against DeChambeau and Rodgers. What's going on with Aaron Rodgers? He's out in Hawaii with his fiance, Shailene Woodley, the actress. He's playing the guitar on social media instead of being at Packers OTAs. He apparently wants to host Jeopardy full-time. He wants to play golf matches against Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. He wants no part of the Packers, Brian Edwards, period. Hey, they asked, they asked for it. They asked for it. They haven't drafted a skill player in the first round since he's been the starter other than Jordan Love. They asked for it. To hell with the Packers. Uh, I kind of, I'm kind of enjoying this, this drama. I, I, I'm here for it. No, it doesn't well, bother and, me. And you anyway. may know this as we head to Memorial Day weekend. Somebody may sneak in the upcoming trade here. Aaron Rodgers somewhere. Julio Jones from your Falcons. I didn't get a chance to talk about this with Richard Deitch. Uh, let's get into this just one second before we get to the sure. NBA weekend, the Friday night underdog picks with Brian Edwards, majorwager.com, who's a huge Falcon fan, unabashed Falcon fan. Julio Jones is calling Shannon Sharp back on his cell phone, and Shannon puts the phone call live on the air on Fox on the Undisputed Show on Fox Sports 1, the debate show with Skip Bayless, and he puts Julio Jones on the air saying, I'm out of here. I don't want to play anymore for the Falcons. Are the Falcons going to slide Julio in for a trade here Memorial Day weekend, June 1st, and he's played his last game in Atlanta? Well, the thing is, is after June 1st, the Falcons get cap relief for trading him. If you're to believe, you know, how that all went down, A, he didn't know he was on the air, which is maybe silly of him. But, I mean, you think he watches that clown show, Shannon Sharp? He's not thinking about, oh, he's on the air right now. I mean, nobody watches that clown show with with, with those – well, I like Sharp okay, but – Skip Bayless, even, right. Yeah, I will mention that clown's name. Uh, but anyhow, um, I think it actually – more than anything, it shows the respect that the Falcons certainly – or at least for sure Arthur Blank and Julio Jones have for each other. It sounds like it's been kept hush-hush that he requested a trade, and I'm sure he did it in a very respectful fashion, probably did it in Mr. Blank's office. And he's kept his mouth shut. The Falcons have – sort of kept their mouth shut. They've kind of floated it maybe, you know, in the last three weeks that, you know, maybe they'll trade him. And it's nothing's happened until after June 1st. But I, I think that if this maybe dries up their offers, you know, I, I would hope that Julio would be a good team player. I mean, he's still getting paid handsomely, would would come play. And then if we're not in the mix, we will we'll trade him before the deadline. I, I hope it'll work like that. Now, I'm pretty confident it will. If anything, this shows – the loyalty that Joe Julio has for, for Arthur Blank, I think, in my mind, or maybe I'm just twisting it the optimistic way. Uh, you tell me what you think. Well, and they and they have a first-year coach, and it's clearly a rebuild on the horizon here uh, for them in another year or so not with Matt Ryan. Defensively, it is. We're yes, terrible. But I mean, defense, but, but but Matt Ryan is not the future, so they got to figure that part out. And what Julio Jones is looking for is I want to get in the playoffs and try to try to win a ring. The problem for him, and this is me putting my Buccaneer hat on figuratively for you, the problem for him is he belly ached about money and held out and got a new contract. And then he belly ached about money again and held out and got another new contract. And the another new contract, the second one, is so massively laden with guaranteed money, it makes him 
almost untradeable unless they wait for this. So let's see if Julio Jones moves. Does Aaron Rodgers move for the same reason after June 1st to lessen the cap hit? Does Russell Wilson maybe get traded? That quieted out of Seattle, but does he maybe get traded before trading camp and it lessens after June 1st on the salary cap for this year and next year? Let's just see if any of these uh, moves get made. Never dull in the NFL offseason there with that. All right, let's close it this way. We've got Friday night action in the NBA. I've not gotten your opinion to this point in the Three Dog Thursday podcast on Trey Young. I'm teeing it up for you. Speaking of Atlanta, Trey Young and the Falcons, or Trey Young and the Hawks, the other birds, victorious in game one. Fully disclosing again, Brian and I don't know on Wednesday night as we're putting this podcast together the result of game two between Atlanta and the Knicks. By the way, sidebar, the NBA waiting three days to give us game two of that series is ridiculous. Figure out the time windows. I mean, I understand if travel is involved, you're in the same place in New York and you made us wait three days for game two. Anyway, you know the result if you're listening on Three Dog Thursday of game two. You certainly know it by Friday. At worst, your Hawks are going to be 1-1. And maybe they are shockingly up 2-0 on, on the Knicks. What kind of shot do you give the Hawks to put a stranglehold on this series starting on Friday night with game three, Brian Edwards. Well, uh, well starting with, we're not going to lose it at home. I mean, the Hawks are 19 and two straight up 17 and four against the spread their last 21 at home. And they've either, I forget how many they've won in a row at home, either eight or nine. And, and it's straight up and against the spread. Um, I'm fascinated to see if the Hawks get greedy Wednesday night. And even if they don't, as long as they like, you know, because this could easily be a throwaway game. And, and what happened to my, well, Miami, it shouldn't have happened to Miami. They're down 0-1 to Milwaukee. But I could see that happening with a young Atlanta team with basically, well, they have postseason experience in that Capella and guys did it on other teams, but nobody uh, on the team did it in an Atlanta uniform. So uh, we'll see. But Atlanta is going to win this series in advance. And, and I think they're going to be, uh, very competitive with Brooklyn in the in the next round. They have been very good down the stretch of the season, as you were just detailing. The Knicks had been very good uh, as well. And again, we'll see what happens with the Wednesday night game that we don't know the result of. The significance there is obviously if New York wins it, it guarantees a game five at least for somebody back uh, in New York. So again, keep an eye on that for Friday night. Atlanta likely favored right on Friday night. New York would probably be Healthy. the underdog. You don't think so? Healthy. Oh, Atlanta will be favored by at least six. Okay, so we'll see what happens uh, on that. And to your point, like Portland got game one, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast in Denver, and then kind of treated the fourth quarter with Denver beating them as, okay, well, we got the split. Now we'll play game three at home. Don't know if that's the case with Atlanta and the Knicks in this one. Uh, Another moment or two, Brian, the Celtics are back home on Friday night, down 2-0 to the Nets. The Nets are even a road favorite seven-point favorite at most of the books that I'm looking at here on Wednesday night. Are the Celtics going to bow their back? Are they going to go out meekly here as the seventh seed in this series? Do you like a taste of the Celtics at all as an underdog on Three Dog Thursday for Friday night's game with the Nets, game three? I think we'll know pretty early. I I think they've mailed it in, and and I don't blame them. I mean, they lost Jalen Brown. It's kind of been a nightmare season. Now, you know, they've got some good character guys like Marcus Smart, and, you know, I don't don't know if that Tatum injury – there hasn't been any – the Celtics haven't released any information on it today, or at least they hadn't as of, like, whatever, 45 minutes ago. 
So I, I don't know. I mean, if if Tatum is good to go and and, and they make some shots early, I mean, if they're going to bow up, it'll be game three at home, maybe. But, uh, you know, if they it, – it's yeah, – this series is over. It, I, it's going to go five max. If Celtics win, win game three, uh, that five games is all it'll go max. The Nets will still put them away. And the uh, the Mavericks winning both games in Los Angeles against the Clippers. Ooh. And so, yeah, Luka Doncic looks like the real deal, wow. Holyfield. And, again, they will be at home on Friday night where the Clippers – um, are already that you know what the Clippers are the road favorite there. I'm smelling that Brian Edwards might be interested in a Friday night underdog as the Dallas Mavericks get some points at home. Let's see if that line stays no, no, there. No, 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 no. Let's the see game. if it stays Stay there. Stay away. Stay away from that game. Who knows? Yeah. In my all right. Opinion. Absolutely. I think a stay away game. And again, they. They got to keep it locked in to your social media and to majorwager.com. You'll have more on injury information and the trends off the Wednesday games, et cetera. That segues in. Plug away on where they find more of your information and your stuff, please. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. My handle is at VegasBEdwards. Uh, you can find all my NBA content at majorwager.com. You can find my picks at VegasInsider.com. Uh, and you can follow Major Wagers. I'm like, I think so many people that follow me on Twitter hate the NBA. I'm like losing hundreds of followers per like three days. <laughs> <laughs> I might start doing all my NBA tweeting from the major wager account, but uh, that, that handle is at major wager. Uno. Uh, all right. Check NBA. into that. Yeah. There are some, there are some anti with the NBA right now, which we understand. And as we mentioned, there's playoff uh, action galore, including the Stanley cup playoffs, I am hoping, again, as the audience knows the answer, that we're not talking about a Game 7 Friday night for my Lightning against the Panthers, as I said earlier in this podcast. That's back in Miami. Although the Bolts have won some Game 7s in their recent history on the road as the road team. Again, it's unusual this year, different this year, because they're back traveling and going to home sites. Last year it was in the bubble that the Lightning won the Stanley Cup and didn't have to win any of those pressure games on somebody else's home ice. Let's see what happens with that. Brian, great job. Great stuff. Love the insight, whether it be the basketball, whether it be the college football projecting with the games of the year and the stuff coming this fall. Have a great weekend. Have a safe Memorial Day weekend. I look forward to talking with you in June. We are already in June on the next Three Dog Thursday, that much closer to the football season. Thank you, my friend. We'll be talking about Hawks Brooklyn this time next week. Thanks for having me, TJ. Have a good weekend. He loves that. My thanks also to Richard Deitch of The Athletic, the sports media writer. Uh, Great stuff on the inside of the middle segment of the podcast. Again, find us uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and subscribe. Thanks to Sean Green, Ryan Kramer, sportsgamblingpodcast.com. Sean and Ryan do a great job. Sports Gambling Podcast Network of shows. Find us there as well. For now, we are done. Good luck with the underdogs in pro basketball, uh, the hockey, et cetera, everything that's happening. For now, we are good on Three Dog Thursday. Bye.